I'm George. And I'm Alex. And we're the writers of Uncommon Commons. We'd just like to let you know that we'll be taking a short hiatus to salvage our sanity and return with new content as soon as The Void releases us from its grasp. We'll be returning May 17th, but before that, we'll be releasing our season finale on April 5th. However, there will be extra content available in the interim. Including a Q&A, so please send all questions to 0nullstreet at gmail.com. That's the number 0, N-U-L-L-S-T-R-E-E-T, at gmail.com. Oh, and one more thing. The Uncommon Commons now has an official fandom wiki. All transcripts will be uploaded there, day of release. For more information, go to uncommoncommons.fandom.com. Until then, stay stay and and remember, remember, nothing is real. Uncommon Commons is a horror anthology podcast written by George Plank and Alex Vitale. Content warnings can be found in the episode description. The following episode contains mentions of disease and pandemic, and may be triggering for some listeners due to recent events. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Today's story is Countdown to Zero by Alex Vitale. And then he says, get your paws off me, you... What are you talking about? Constitutional politics. What does that have to do with anything you have said so far? I was getting to that. Anyway, then Dr. Zayas... What was that sound? Do you mean the mysterious ticking noise? It's more like a beeping. Do you think it might have something to do with the giant clock embedded in the walls? How long has that been there? Either two weeks ago or forever. Impossible to say. Is it just me or is it counting down? It's just you. But it is getting closer to zero. So it is. What do you think happens when it reaches zero? We get new calendars? For what? Can you even tell when the season changes? Sure! The walls are different shades of white. For example, eggshell white means it's, uh, Wintumner. What season is it now, then? Chantilly Lace. Oh, that explains the heat. Oh, here. Use this to fan yourself. This is my mail. Did you break into my mailbox again? No, 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 no. I was very careful to leave the mailbox in mostly one piece. John, I told you before, stop stealing my bobby pins to commit federal crimes. Give me that. You were running out of food. The shelves that lined your kitchen were starting to get low and it wouldn't be long before those canned peaches and baked beans were gone as well. You weren't keen on the idea of going to the store. In fact, you dreaded the thought altogether. The two supermarkets in the town closest to you had long since been emptied out, which meant that you would have to travel to the next town over. It was an all-day trip, and your feet ached just thinking about it. You'd probably have to stay overnight as well. There was absolutely no chance you could find your way back home in the dark. Yet the idea of another monotonous night of lukewarm baked beans made your stomach churn. And so it was settled. You grabbed your backpack, checked to make certain your torch still had battery, and headed out the front door. In all honesty, you couldn't recall the last time you'd truly left your cabin. You'd been outside, of course, tending to the generator and making repairs, but you rarely left your property anymore. Huh. That was funny. Your property. It hadn't been that at the start of all this... It just happened to be a safe little isolated house that you could hunker down in. How long had it been that you'd started to think of it as yours? It had been several years since the pandemic itself had started. 
You can remember that clear as day. It all started with a pain in your stomach, which you'd ignored. That's all it ever seemed to you, a slight pain in the bottom of your gut. The pain had been passed to your family and friends, and from them to their friends and family. It hadn't just been a stomach pain for them. As you slung your backpack over your shoulder and headed down the driveway, you thought of your mother. She hadn't looked like your mother in those last few days, and with her inside so aggressively mutated, she hadn't sounded like your mother either. The doctors had spirited you away after that, but by then it was too late. The rising sun was warm on your face as you recalled all those bright white rooms and wide-gauge needles. The doctors and nurses had kept you under lock and key, had taken every precaution, but in the end it didn't matter. No one could determine why the disease never killed you, nor did they ever get close to finding out. The world was contaminated from the moment you left your house that fateful Sunday morning, and it would never be clean again. Autumn leaves crunched under your feet as you shuffled along on your trek towards Harristown. The woods were silent apart from your own labored breathing and footfall. The wind still rustled the trees and nearby brooks still babbled along, but no birds sang, no squirrels chirped, no cars drove up the road that you were walking along. The world, as it had been for so long now, was quiet. It hadn't gone out with a bang or a whimper. It had gone out with a universal wheeze. The road is steep and still wet from the rain the night prior. You have to be sure-footed so as not to fall. Just ahead of you, a deer lurches out from the brush along the path. You call it a deer in your head because that is what it is. At least, that is what it once was. You suppose it still resembles a deer in some respects. It's still mostly quadrupedal, and it still has the vague, lean shape of a deer. It still has antlers, too, though they sprout from all over its body. Some of them impede the movements of the four functioning legs. The other limbs, hanging off of places that legs should not be, dangle and twitch uselessly in time with its gait. Briefly, the deer casts its sunken and hollow eyes in your direction. Without much care for you, it continues its slow lumber across the road and back into the forest. It wasn't the first one you'd seen, and you doubted it would be the last. Still, you'd always thought of the disease as a human one. Seeing the animals affected by it somehow stung worse. They had been, after all, your only companions for quite some time. The majority of your trip to Harristown was uneventful, but it still required you to cut through the town adjacent to it. Myersburg had been your first source of food, but that had dried out long ago. You found yourself to be hungrier than you ever were before these days, and its two small grocery stores did little to satiate that appetite. The walk through Myersburg was less than pleasant. The streets were still peppered with abandoned cars, some still containing passengers who noticed their sickness much too late. Houses stand dormant, lining the streets like teeth in a jaw, some with their doors still ajar. Toys and lawnmowers lay strewn about the yards. Nothing organic in Myersburg moved aside from the overgrown lawns and sidewalks. The grass swayed easily in the breeze. Grass, you noticed, that seemed to be growing very well. The sun was cresting the sky when you finally took the turn down Walnut Street toward Harristown. By car, the trip would have taken, oh, about twenty minutes, at least to get to Main Street. On foot, at the pace you were going, it would likely take you over two hours. Already your joints were complaining, but you trudged on. There was light at the end of the tunnel. At least there was better food than baked beans. The highway between Myersburg and Harristown was likewise littered with vehicles. Some pulled over on the shoulder, some crashed into one another. Years ago, sitting in your tiny, isolated room in the county hospital, 
who had heard on the television that the disease had different incubation periods in everyone. In some, it was fast-acting, in others, it could take months. They had compared it to the Black Plague, but this disease grew a lot more than lesions. You avoided looking into any of the side-view mirrors as you passed. By the time you reached Harristown, it was well into the afternoon. When you'd first started coming to town for food, you'd taken a much longer route to get there. Since then, you'd learned the quickest ways, and you'd learned to leave earlier. You were fairly certain that your run-down little cabin was the only building around with any power, which meant that any buildings you entered were lit only by natural light. Well, that and your torch. You would need to remember to pick up new batteries for it, just in case. It was a relief arriving in Harristown during the golden hour. With the partially caved-in roof of the supermarket and the wide-open doors, you might not even need your torch. Light filtered in beautifully from the slowly setting sun, catching the dust particles and bouncing off the cans on the shelves. You heaved a sigh of relief. You hated using your torch. It hurt your fingers to hold. Shuffling into the supermarket, you carefully stepped over debris. There were a few bodies lying around, but even so, you were careful not to disturb them. Your plan was as simple as it always was. Get in, get what you need, and get out. There was no real danger of being in the market, but you don't like to linger. The presence of bodies always puts you on edge. As swiftly as you can, you heave your pack off your shoulders and begin curating your food choices. This store held a considerably bigger variety than the other ones in Myersburg, but you couldn't take much back with you. You'd still have to carry your gear back in the morning as well. The AAA batteries you need are thankfully on a low shelf, so acrobatics won't be necessary this trip. Thankfully, too. Your joints are more stiff nowadays. You squat on the floor, digging through your findings. As you debate whether or not to keep a can of chickpeas, something catches your attention. Footsteps. In all the years you'd been out on your own, you'd seen plenty of other living things. Deer, rabbits, the occasional coyote. Sometimes those animals wandered into town. Never, though, did they talk amongst themselves. Honestly, Kathy, you're too nervous, says a muffled voice of a woman. There's no one out here but us, and we've got gas masks. We're fine. From your position behind the shelf, you can see a group of people outlined against the sky. The shadows stretch long against the floor, casting maybe four figures over the debris. Your breath hitches, and panic grabs you by the throat. You'd actively avoided people for so long. Slowly, you stand. I am the proper amount of nervous, Ada, retorts the one you assume is Kathy. You've seen all the bodies. How can you not be nervous? Now standing, you can see the party better. There are indeed four of them, and they were people. Not people like the deer, but people who looked human, who were human. It is hard to make out their features from your hiding place behind the shelving, and from behind their masks, but they aren't malformed. They have no lumps or extra limbs, and their bellies aren't bloated. Weighing your options, your hearts hammer in your chest. You move to flee out the other entrance. What was that? asks the one named Kathy. Is someone there? We can see you, says the one named Ada. She shines a torch in your direction. Hesitating for only a moment, you emerge from behind the shelving unit. Ada's light settles over you, glinting off your eye. You squint against the harsh light. Someone screams. Oh my god! What is that? One of them asks. Is that a person? Yes, you moan. Yes, you are a person. Your voice comes out as garbled nonsense. The people draw back. You try again. Please, I just want to go home. Again, your throat pulses, but no voice comes out. 
The brunette, Kathy, lurches sideways and vomits onto the floor. Ada puts her torch away, and its place is drawn a shotgun. She cocks it. Stay back! Don't... uh, Don't move! You gurgle out a shout, shuffling backwards on twisted legs. Please don't shoot. I'm going the other way. In desperation, you lurch for your pack. All you needed was your supplies and you'd be on your way back to your cabin, back to isolation. With a groan, your blood pumping obviously in your jutting veins, you shamble towards your backpack. A shot rings out into the silent evening. You feel it enter you, ripping through softened bone and pulsating brain matter. You don't feel anything after that. Your hulking body falls with a thud to the filthy floor of the market. Coagulated black blood pools slowly around you. And that's it. After all these years alone, suffering as the world suffered more, Patient Zero was finally gone. That was great and all, but it really didn't fix the situation at hand. When has the story ever actually helped? I just like hearing myself talk. I guess we'll find out soon enough. Less than 30 seconds left. What's the worst that could happen? We've been in tough scrapes before, and we always seem to get out of them just fine. I guess you're right. Okay. Here it comes. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Happy New Year! You're right. I guess nothing did happen, Jane. Jane? Uncommon Commons is a podcast. It was written and recorded by George Plank and Alex Vitale. Our theme song was composed by Charles Adam Robinson, and our logo designed by Sam Vitale. Our social media manager is Rebecca Tewksbury. Follow us at un underscore commons on Twitter, uncommon underscore commons on Instagram, or email us directly at zeronullstreet at gmail.com. Rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay, and remember... Nothing is real.